Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about Mercury ingressing into Aries. We're going to go on a journey today as we examine the transits of Mercury through all three decans of Aries. We'll talk a little bit about the sign of Aries itself. Um, we will discuss which phase Mercury is moving into, uh, including its Kazemi. So we have a a renewal of Mercury over this period of time, which is between April the 3rd and April the 19th. Mercury is moving super fast right now. So we will break all of that down for you. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mercury's sextile with Saturn. Um, it's sextile with Mars. There's a mutual reception going on with Mercury and Mars, its host. So we'll get to all that and some fixed star stuff. And of course, we will look at both the decanic tarot and the I Ching to help us bring all the essence together and figure out what all this means and what we can do over this period of time. All right. Hope you're all doing well out there. I'm going to share my screen with you so that we can see what we can see. So here we are looking at the beginning of this transit, which is happening on April the 3rd. 2021 at 11:41 p.m. So I'm recording this on Friday while Mercury is still in Pisces, but late tomorrow, Saturday, we will see Mercury moving into uh, the domicile of Mars. Uh, a, quite a shift of energy, if I if I do say so myself. There is a a shift from Mercury moving from Jupiter's temple. Uh, it's kind of its opposite. So this was one of the reasons they thought of Jupiter's temple as a really difficult place for Mercury because Jupiter is trying to, to find order, confirmation, um, higher meaning, higher purpose, abundant growth, where Mercury is trying to um, destabilize, to kind of cast doubt, uh, examine a witness uh, on the witness stand rather than like make a judgment like, Mer like Jupiter would like to do. So now we're seeing Mercury moving out of uh, its um, exile and fall and into a, a, a place where it is peregrine for part of the time, and it will have some dignity by being on its own terms in the middle of the cycle between 12 and 20 degrees. So if we just look at the, the breakdown, the, the condition details of this, right, first of all, the host is Mars. And Mars is in a sextile. And we'll just look at the beginning of this first. So you can see right now, as Mercury is moving into Aries here, it is in a sextile now with its host rather than a square. So that is an improvement in the condition uh, and the relationship between Mercury and Mars. So this could uh, help our minds to start functioning a little bit better, a little bit um, clearer thinking. Although I will say this, one of the things that we have to consider is that Mercury, very late in the day, um, on the 3rd, right before it moves into Aries, is going to be making its morning setting. Okay, so this is, this is interesting. This is, we've been talking about synodic cycles or planets' relationships with the sun. So what we see here is the moment where Mercury is moving within 15 degrees of the sun, okay? And that is when it is under the sun's beams, okay? That is a moment of phasis where we may receive some uh, important communication that could potentially cast some doubt in the Aries-ruled area of our, our charts um, that could have us questioning what we are doing in that area of our life and potentially that could have some ramifications for both the Gemini area and the Virgo area of our life because Mercury is providing resources for both of those houses. Now, Mercury can witness the Gemini house by sextile, so there may be a more clarity in regards to that, but it is an aversion to the Virgo area. So the confusion that we might see is definitely... Virgo area of your life. In this case, like this is a Scorpio rising chart. This is just the chart of the moment of the ingress 
of Mercury into Aries. But if you, let's say that you had a Scorpio rising chart, you may have something happen in your sixth house, like maybe an injury or an illness or some sort of new schedule or some kind of new work type of thing that could have you questioning other areas of your life, like your shared resources in the eighth house, um, themes related to, to death or inheritance or debt. And that could also be shaking up your 11th house of, of groups and of benefactors and people that support your outer action out in the world. So this is just a demonstration of what one particular chart might look for, look for with Mercury moving into Aries. And you can do this with your chart by rotating um, your, your chart and finding your specific ascendant and then looking where Mercury and Aries are going to be and then where Virgo and Gemini are going to be, okay? So, I mean, that's, that's a, a little bit of a, you know, that's some shop talk, right? But let's get back to some of the general things about this cycle. I did want to point out, though, that this is the beginning of Mercury's lying hidden phase, its direct lying hidden phase. We've talked in other videos about the different synodic cycles of both superior planets, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, and the inferior planets, Mercury and Venus. So this is a point in time where Mercury is direct. Mercury is moving very fast as it gets close to the sun. So it's really, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, okay? Because Mercury is, is invisible once it goes under the beams. There may be a lot of communication over this period of time behind the scenes that is not necessarily visible where we are trying to establish some kind of new sovereign territory or new authority, new individual um, space for us to grow within. This is something we've been talking about with both the sun and Venus moving through Aries, where we are just trying to establish uh, perhaps separating from the past, separating from an old authority, separating from some kind of um, parental figure. And Mercury is now joining the mix. And the host, Mars, right now, is what is causing this severing and separating. That's what we see when planets move through a Mars-ruled house, is they are being fed the impulse to uh, differentiate, to cut, to sever, to speed things up, to establish a, um, a completely autonomous identity. So we've seen this potentially in our sense of our awareness of our sense of self with the sun, the way that we administrate and, and um, create authority within our own lives with the sun being in its exaltation. Uh, we see, we've seen this with Venus, where we have maybe potentially had some challenges within relationships because Venus has been in her exile. So it's not an, the easiest time for Venus when she's you know, usually enjoys creating harmony, but in this case, she's being asked to um, sever and separate to create harmony. So leaving something behind is maybe the only way to create harmony at this point. Now Mercury enters the mix. And Mercury is a, a boundary um, stepper, a habitual line stepper, as um, they used to say in um, the Chappelle show about Rick James. So we can think about Mercury playing the Rick James role right now, maybe getting his feet on the couch and, you know, messing up somebody's couch with his dirty feet when he doesn't really give two shits whether he's doing it or not. So you have to be careful because if you are familiar with The Chappelle Show, you know that Rick James kind of got his butt kicked by Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy um, because of his rash and kind of boorish behavior. So um, be careful that you, we don't act like Rick James here when we're communicating with one another. Uh, it, is, it is okay to slow down. It is okay to think about what you say before you say it. Um, this could be a, a potentially a time, especially because these two are, are communicating with each other really well with mutual reception. What that means, and I'll erase all this stuff here for a minute, a mutual reception is when 
planets are in each other's domiciles. So Mercury is in the house of Mars, and Mars is in the house of Mercury. So imagine that you're kind of staying at a friend's house, and they are you you both are staying, you're like house swapping. And you have a vested interest in what the other is doing at your home. And there's an open line of communication because there's a harmonious sextile between these two planets. But they could be feeding each other's kind of significations quite, um, quite quickly. You know, this is something where words can become weapons. Opinions can be, you know, shot off like fireworks. Uh, we could be... Um, you know, trying to make a choice as well, though. So we, we, this is, I think that this mutual reception between Mercury and Mars really has us asking questions about what new territory we want to establish, what dominion we want to uh, explore or create or dominate, I guess, could be another way of thinking about this. Uh, because we have this kind of energy where we want to conquer something. There was some significations with the um, the two of wands that we see the tarot associated with this deck in, where we, you know, associate with Alexander the Great, where we we are looking for a new place to establish our, our sovereignty. Um, and that can lead to some conflicts. You know, not everybody wants to be dominated. Not everybody wants to be colonized or whatever, you know, it's, it is a difficult, um, it, is, it can be a difficult experience trying to leave behind the past and move forward into the future. And especially when we're trying to do that, when we're leaving behind like a, an authority figure, I guess could be another way of thinking about that. Okay. So we have um, this need to leave what Liz Green calls a terrible father. Okay, there's lots of stories, including Jason and the Golden Fleece um, and the story of Oedipus, which she talks about having a association with um, the father rather than just the mother. We think of an Oedipal complex as this relationship with a mother and a wanting to, to unite with the mother. But in that story, um, Oedipus is unaware of his parentage, his royal parentage, and, and you know, grows up exiled from them and returns to his um, father's land, his, his birth father's land, and meets him on the road, on the path. And through his anger and through his rage, he was like, there was, um, there was a narrow path, I guess, and they, they were both trying to pass through this like narrow canyon or something of that nature, narrow trail. And, um, you know, Oedipus's father wouldn't, wouldn't move out of the way. And Oedipus was so like pissed off about this that he killed him. <laughs> so he, he didn't know he was his father. So that's, you know, part of this, that story is, is trying to have this conflict with the, with the father. And eventually, you know, through his ignorance, he returns back and ends up, you know, marrying his own mother and he, his mother didn't know that, that he was his son and things like that, that she was his. So, so this is something um, that we see this like kind of separating from the father figure, overcoming the father figure. Uh, we could also think of this in relationship to Zeus and Kronos too. Liz Green talks a lot about kind of Zeus having a secret, um, I don't know, having some secret meaning with Aries, especially with this overcoming the, the difficult father figure. As we know, Zeus overthrew Kronos and liberated his siblings from Kronos's, you know, tyrannical reign when he was swallowing all of those those Olympians to prevent being usurped by one of his children. So again, I think I would I would just caution you to be careful um, about you know how you communicate with one another. Uh, recognize that you may not be thinking as much before you you pop off about something that is, um, I don't know, that is important to you or that feels important in that moment. Sometimes things feel really important that are not necessarily as, as important when we look at them in hindsight. Um, and uh, 
you know, we, we are definitely going to be questioning and, and feeling some doubt around this new path that we've been trying to establish. I, I really feel this with Mercury. You know, Mercury Mercury's journey through Pisces over the last month or so um, has brought up a questioning of our purpose, right? What is our purpose? What, where do we find meaning? What kind of dream are we really trying to manifest out in the world? What are we trying to leave behind, right? What, are we, what is it that needs to be uh, shed as we complete this old cycle? And now we may have gotten clear about what our driving motivation, our unifying sense of purpose is to create and now we have to take the next step with, with Mercury here to find the tools and the skills, two keywords with Mercury, tools and skills, that will help us to cultivate uh, and establish ourselves, okay? So this is, um, this is how we are going to um, become like the magician in the tarot and use all of our skill set to, to really break free from the underground, bust through the surface of the soil to become this, you know, new little sprout. And what are we going to do to support that little sprout and grow it with a strong foundation so that this new start that we're trying to make is able to be sustained over the long term? Okay. And we have to be patient with this process. This is a little preview of the I Ching here. There's definitely, uh, a need to slow down, not rush the process, not get attached to external results right now. I think that's really important over this uh, transit of Mercury through Aries. Because it is combust and hidden underneath the beams of the sun, we may not be able to see visible progress in relationship to mer mercurial matters such as commerce, communication, anything associated with this Aries house and the, and the Gemini and Virgo house. Um, and we have, may have to wait until Mercury, excuse me, both goes Kazemi, all right, and gets reseated with purpose and with vitality. And also we may have to wait until Mercury makes its evening rise. And that happens on May the 2nd at 27 degrees of Taurus. So a lot of the things that you may be seeding around this Mercury and Aries cycle are probably going to be very personal to you. They're probably going to be very um, self-focused, which isn't not necessarily a bad thing. This is where we may be advocating for our own needs. Mercury was like the cosmic lawyer who was able to, to argue uh, on behalf of one viewpoint or another. So this may be where you are arguing, advocating for your own sense of purpose, for your own territory, for your own needs. And you may be needing to still get clear about what those needs really are. Okay, and we may, we may really start to get some clarity about what do we really need to feel autonomous? What do we really need to feel independent to feel like we can support ourselves and not be codependent or, or dependent on whatever that father or parental figure was that we're trying to break free from. And this can happen in many different parts of your life. I mean, it could be a literal parental figure if it's associated with like the fourth house. Um, this could be in your, in your job if you're experiencing Aries in your 10th house. It could be a belief system you have to break free from if it is in your ninth house. I know for me personally, as a Leo Ascendant, uh, Mercury will be moving into my ninth house and this Kazemi moment will be in the ninth house of like an, a, a finding purpose, right? So there may be some old belief that throughout this cycle, Leo Ascendants will have to, to kind of get clear on. Okay, and there, there may be some confusion and there may be some darkness around it at first. But again, there's going to be a lot going on behind the scenes because Mercury is moving very fast. There may be messages that come to you that you may not be able to act upon right away. Uh, there may be unexpected things that come to you as well, as we will see in the I Ching. Um, the I Ching really is recommending to, um, I guess, have some flexibility when it comes to what is coming into your life, uh, there may be some, some 
circumstances where you have a plan, you've been really focused on this thing that you want to create, and then this unexpected thing pops up uh, that may be the divine giving you a little bit of a course correction or something in disguise, a deity in disguise that uh, you may need to re- shift your focus towards and allow into your life rather than reject. So we'll get to that. But I thought that was really curious and really interesting because there are definitely times when we can um, have our own sense of direction and purpose, and then life just throws us a little bit of a curveball, and we have to make an adjustment. And sometimes through our own stubbornness, we can not really understand that this was a good opportunity if we if we don't allow it some space in our life. So that's one thing I wanted to to give you a little bit of a preview of with that. Okay, so we've talked about Mercury being in the lying hidden phase. It's direct in motion, moving very fast. It, it will have its morning setting right before it moves into Aries. So it, it disappears right before it moves into Aries. Um, we will see potentially fast, severe, subjective, innovative exchanges, yang speech. So this is a, a yang position a masculine position for for Mercury. So instead of going off into our imaginations, we may be wanting to externalize our our thoughts, our processes. Um, But again, we may feel frustrated because Mercury is getting burned up under the the heat of the sun and the beams of the sun. So I would say that this is a position where it is important not to, uh, I would say, don't get into arguments behind the scenes because sometimes that can that can really uh, bring you a lot of stress too. Like gossip is a, is something that could potentially happen with Mars and Gemini and, and Mercury and Aries, where we aren't really thinking of the ramifications of uh, you know talking, especially behind the scenes with Mercury being hidden. Um, you can get into some real uh, difficult waters, and I guess you could get in. I guess you could call it difficult. Um, flame wars with mercury in aries in in the fire sign the cardinal fire sign because we are trying to initiate something and i think that what i've learned over my study of aries is uh it's more i think you're more effective if you are advocating and getting enthusiastic about what you want to create rather than railing against what you are not I think the the enlightened Aries person, the mature Aries type person is so confident in who they are that they don't even have to fight anymore. You know, this is something that came up when I was speaking on the royal dignity that we see in the second decan of Aries is, you know, you, you can feel so um, comfortable in your own skin and in your own power that you're, you're almost unassailable, right? And in that regard, you can let other people be feel confident in their own path and in their own journey without having to feel that the difference between you is a threat. That's Let me repeat that. You can feel confident enough in your own abilities and your own path so that the differences that arise do not have to be perceived as a threat, Okay. I wanted to emphasize that because I really think that's going to be important moving through this mercurial cycle. You know, here's what I think a really um, mature Aries person or mature Aries placement would do during a a, a heated exchange like this. If they feel that someone is going, you know, against the grain of their belief system, instead of arguing about it, you can say, you don't even have to get into it. You say, we can agree to disagree. And then you go do something else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Why waste any time on actually having that argument? You know that you're probably not either going to convince someone of your perspective or they're not going to convince you of theirs. So it's almost like, why even fight? You know, you know what you believe because you've, you've established that uh, through this beginning Aries cycle. And there's just no need to fight. I think that's the thing. Okay. So um, I've talked about Mercury being a mediator or a lawyer arguing on your behalf, arguing for the needs of the self, where we're trying to leave the old limiting situation. I'm just looking through my notes here. This could be where you're discussing your war strategy. 
uh, as I've just discussed, like potentially not going to war, but I think of the war being not necessarily between any one person and you, but it could be with your own sense of self-doubt. How are you going to strategize creating that new independent start? Maybe it could be the, the battle for um, for, for sovereignty itself. Okay. And so you will have to put some energy into that into strategizing. I think Mercury is a very strategic thinker as well. Um, we've talked about the terrible father figure and overcoming that Mercury will be in Mars's diurnal temple. So this is again, uh, very active, very energetic, confrontational words could potentially become weapons behind the scenes, hidden conflicts, hidden contests, Words erupting from underground, bursts of thought. Um, the first decade of Aries is sort of the energy that it takes to move out of the seed underground seed cycle into the into the light. When we are looking at some more of the condition here, we do have uh, in the first decan, we have a double Mars ruled face that has the terms of Jupiter and Venus. So, so benefic bound lords from zero to six degrees for Jupiter and six to 12 degrees for Venus. And we have a, the card, the two of wands called dominion. Again, this is the card of, of Alexander the Great surveying his realm and thinking about which territory he wants to conquer next. Um, in this decan, we also have a diamond or spirit named Adonius, which is Hades, the lord of the underworld. So we have the seed literally under the ground that is about to erupt through the surface. Now you remember in the story of Hades and Persephone, he erupted from underground and like, you know, stole Persephone away. And funnily enough, Persephone is is the deity associated or the daimon associated with the second decan of Aries. So let's break down some of the transits and we'll go decan by decan and I will discuss some of the little nuances as we go along. Okay. All right. So we'll look at April 3rd. We have the Mercury is moving into Aries. Mercury will will immediately conjoin a fixed star called Skiat. Okay. So this is a fixed star in Pegasus. Uh, Pegasus is that winged horse that is, you know, speaks to ascending to the heights of your dreams. Skiat has some things to do with innovative, headstrong thinking. Uh, this may be a time where we are feeling um, like we are just going to do our own thing. We're, we're potentially going to be rejecting other people's opinions and thoughts and saying, you know what, I, I can't do it the same way that you can, and I have to do it my own way. So, you know, get on the back of Pegasus the horse and, and figure out what your dream is. It doesn't mean that it has to come to light yet, but I think getting really clear on who you are and who you are not is very important during this first second phase and putting some energy into it, all right? There's, there's a lot of energy, a yang energy that's needed to push the, the little seed through the soil. On March, or excuse me, on April the sixth, okay, we will see Mercury at about five degrees of Aries here. And what we're going to be seeing is Mars, its host, shifting to the third decan of Gemini. Okay, so this is what is giving us energy right now. This is what is going to be feeding the mercurial significations. Now, when Mars was in Gemini 2, we had the Nine of Swords experience. And this Nine of Swords experience was like kind of the nightmare card where we were really feeling the weight of so many possibilities and we didn't know what choice we needed to make, right? There was the the duality involved um, was painful. And finally, as we move into the third decan of Gemini, a choice has to be made. Okay, we see the Ten of Swords card associated with this Deccan, and we see a figure with Ten Swords in his back, and he's like, you know, he's killed something. Something is, has to die. And the myth of Gemini talks about these two twins, Castor and Pollux, 
where one of them had to give up part of their immortality so that the other could live again after he was murdered by another set of twins. So there will be something where you have to make a choice. I think that that April the 6th is probably the time where you're like, okay, I can't do everything. I have to leave this other thing behind. Um, I can't keep juggling all these, these, uh, these balls in the air. I can't uh, keep all these plates spinning. Something has to go so that I can put my energy into this new start that needs to take place. So, and that's really the big, I would say that's the big moment of Mercury's movement through Aries one. Okay. There aren't any other uh, exact aspects that are happening. We of course are, excuse me, going to be seeing whole sign aspects between Saturn and Jupiter and and, in Aquarius and with Mars here, and also a whole sign square with Pluto. But we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Now, let's move forward. So a choice has been made here. We'll tell the story as we go along here. The choice has been made around April 6th. Something has to go. You are willingly giving something up uh, so that something else can live. I think that's the key. It's easier to willingly give something up than to have it taken away from you because you just can't put the proper amount of energy into it anymore. Right, so that's something to consider. If you if you want to be the sovereign of your own territory and your own state, you have to be able to make decisions like that every once in a while and say and delegate. You know, say I can't do this anymore. You you have to help me with this, uh, or I can't you know show up for for five meetings if I have to you know really be on my game at this this one meeting today if I have to prep for it or something like that. So I do think we may be cutting out distractions around this period of time and making a choice. This is the time for choosing. All right, so if we go forward to the 9th of April, we're going to see Mercury moving into the second decan of Aries, okay? Around 9 in the morning, 9.25 a.m., Mercury will will move into Aries 2. Austin Coppock calls this this decan, um, he calls this one the crown. The first one was called the axe, where we're severing, separating, and now when we've made our choice, we've made our, our split, um, we are tasked with governing the new, the new area that we have established, okay? Um, Book of Toth calls this virtue. This, this decan's really interesting. I just did a few videos on this if you want to check out Sun and Venus in Aries 2. Uh, the... Um, it has two fixed stars in this area that that have to do with the royal family that that are near the pole star, the North Celestial Pole. And that, of course, includes Alderamin at 13 degrees of Aries and Alpharetz at 14 degrees of Aries. Excuse me, Alderamin was at uh, was in the constellation Cepheus, the king. Alpharetz was in uh, Andromeda, the princess but also in the navel of Pegasus, so it plays a dual role. So the first thing we're going to experience when we see Mercury moving into Aries 2, a solar decan, a double sun decan, okay? So this is why we have some of these like kingly associations, these royal associations with this decan, you know, leadership qualities. This is the decan that has the maximum degree of exaltation of the sun. So you can see that one day previous, we saw that the degree of the sun's maximum exaltation, right as Mercury is moving into the same decan, okay? And then the sun's moving out of that decan. Uh, The first thing that happens here is Mercury will be making a whole sign sextile with Saturn. And you can see this on the 10th of April, right? So here is our, our whole sign sextile. This is gonna be happening around 11 degrees Actually, maybe it's the day before, but I have something set up where it's very late in the day. So let's look a little bit for earlier in the day here. Okay. Here is our whole sign sextile. Almost exact. Oh, maybe it's on the ninth. Anyway, details, details. Um, One thing to consider is that 
regardless of what exact degree it is happening at, um, this may be a time where they will have an interaction around April 9th and 10th, where Saturn is going to be kind of uh, assisting with slowing some things down. There's a sextile with Saturn and Aquarius 2, which is associated with the Six of Swords. That Deccan is about leaving the past behind and making a transition to a new experience. Um, we could see a figure being ferried across a river into a new, a new land. So there, this is a time where I think that as you are trying to establish your authority and the rules of your new sovereign state, it's very important for you to rise above the, the whole picture of your life and try to see it from a very a big perspective. Try to see it for, for what type of blueprint you are trying to establish. So this could be where you're really kind of you know kicking around a lot of ideas about what the new structure of your reality is going to be moving forward. Okay. Um, when we look at the cards associated with Aries 2, we see the, the three of wands where a figure is staring off into a bay where his ships have gone out and he, he has made a decision and he's sending off his ships uh, with his goods that he has created. And now he has to wait for them to return. Okay. Or this could be him that those ships returning could be both. All right. Either way, there is a period of like waiting there is a, 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 we're still sort of leaning on the old experience. We haven't quite gotten the, the final victory yet, but that is going to come. On the 11th, we will see Mercury making a conjunction with Alderman at about 13 degrees of Aries. So this is a fixed star in Cepheus the King which is also coinciding with our new moon in Aries 3. So the new moon will happen at 22 degrees of Aries, while simultaneously Mercury will be hanging out on Alderman in the constellation Cepheus. So this has to do with maintaining your dignity, uh, your royal nature, having confidence. Um, this may be a point in time where you have to maintain your integrity in some sort of business dealing or in some sort of commercial interaction. Uh, again, rising above a, a challenge or a conflict is probably the best way to go. Um, as we move forward out of this new moon cycle, you're going to see that Mercury the next day on the 12th will be hanging out at about 14 degrees of Aries. Um, on Alpharat. So we may want to move quickly as Mercury is moving through this area of the Zodiac, but I think it's important to uh, not get too outspoken, too overconfident, not to take rash action, because that we may be tempted to do that with this new moon. We may be like, we're ready. We're ready to establish ourselves and establish a following. But let the cycle play out. Let the lunar cycle play out. Um, get some real clarity by letting the mercury Kazemi phase play out, and that will happen less than a week later. So there are things brewing. I really think that there's big stuff coming at the mid-May, mid end of May. And this is really the preparatory phase for that. So I, I want to impress upon you the, the need to follow natural cycles. And this is the great time to begin things but we don't have to have it all at once, okay? That's the, that's the key. Is it's, These are great beginnings. But again, we can establish a firm foundation if we take our time and if we um, try to build uh, from the ground up without just over-asserting over ourselves. All right. On the 14th, Mercury moves into the third decan of... Aries. So you can see that here, about 20 degrees Aries. There we go. Wednesday, April the 14th, Mercury's day. You know, this, the moon is in Taurus. It's separated from the being under the bond, uh, separated from that 15 degree mark where we might be able to start to figure out what, what this new, new moon is all about. Uh, we have the sun making a sextile to Mars that day. And Mercury 
is in the Deccan that is called completion by the Book of Toth. And Austin Kappa calls this a burning rose. This is Venus's Deccan. So we, we can see some, some synchronization with the Four of Wands card in the tarot. And in it, we see like a wedding or a festival, a celebration, two figures kind of raising their arms victorious by a castle. Uh, this is, this. I, I was really enjoying reading about Aries in Benabel Wen's book, 36 Secrets. She talks about this phase as the kind of the celebration of the establishment of a new sovereign king or queen or authority. So we've, we've kind of made our split from the old regime. We've established the ground rules that we're going to be uh, governing from in the second decade. And now this is like a celebratory phase where we're, where we have a ritual celebration, maybe a parade or something like that. Um, but we also are trying to win over a hostile crowd. This is something that Austin Kopic talks a lot about in 36 Faces is this the there's the power of charisma in this decade. So we may be using our words, we may be using our communication to win people over at this point now to our side, to gain followers, to to gain the support that we need to to move forward with our chosen projects. Now there are a number of deck uh, of aspects that are going to be happening during this decanic transit. So let's look at what we've got. So on the 17th, we have a big day. On April the 17th, Mercury is at about 26 degrees of Aries. It is going to be almost in the Kazemi moment. Uh, it is, you know, roughly within one degree. And we have the, the exact conjunction and the exact Kazemi, the superior conjunction. That'll be happening on the 18th. But before that happens, before we get the renewal, we're going to see Mercury making a number of aspects. It will be making an exact sextile with Jupiter, a supportive aspect. It will be making an exact sextile with Mars, another supportive aspect. It will also be making an exact square to Pluto. So we've got all these communications happening all at once. So we're trying to establish the new start. We're trying to get the reseeding of vitality for Mercury in this new cycle. Think about the superior conjunction as Mercury or Hermes returning from the abode of the gods and bringing his ideas back to the earth. Okay, I've talked about this with a friend of mine, Gary Caton, who's a great astrologer and really knowledgeable about Mercury. And we talked about Mercury's psychopomp journey when he, it is under the beams. When, um, but generally, Mercury is entering the underworld when it is retrograde and under the beams. And I was asking him about the the morning star phase of this, and I think that the morning star is Mercury visiting Olympus, you know, visiting the ideal realm, and now he's returning, returning from the ideal realm to see this, you know, back back to life, right? We could even think about it. I think you could think about it two ways. I think you could think about it as, and I, I am not totally clear on this yet. Maybe maybe Mr. Caton could clear it up for us one day. I should have him on the show. But um, it could be that Mercury is visiting Olympus at this Kazemi moment, right? When it's under the beams, that could be Mercury returning to Olympus to get get the, the universal ideal that needs to be seeded into the next cycle. Or that could be happening when it's visible as the morning star. That's, that's something that I don't quite have clarity on yet, but I could think of it both ways. Um, actually, just thinking about it out loud here, I think it would make sense that we'd be visiting Olympus uh, during this hidden phase on some level where Mercury has disappeared into the Olympian realms, into the clouds, right? So we're having these really positive conversations with both Jupiter, which is bringing benevolence by leaving the past behind with this, with hanging out in the third decan of, of Aquarius associated with the seven of swords, which you can see a figure leaving behind the past and carrying with them knowledge from the past into the new unknown. And also with Mars making, uh, you know, the sextile from Gemini three 
where we had to make a choice and we were, you know, because we're leaving the past behind, that's, that's, that is a choice that's leaving something behind, but those are positive things that we can do right now because the sun and Mercury are both making positive sextile with these two planets. Now the challenge is coming from Pluto and we see Pluto in the third decan of Capricorn, which is associated with the four of pentacles where we have a figure that is trying to administrate earthly power as like the CEO of his, his material realm. So there may be some material challenges as we're trying to establish ourselves. There may be some things from underneath the surface that bubble up that are perhaps systematic. I think that the challenges we see with Pluto in the last decade of Capricorn are like government issues, system issues, um, bureaucratic challenges. So when you're trying to make your new start, there may be some some corruption uh, that was pushed underneath the surface that has to be dealt with as you are moving forward into your new chosen realm. So if stuff comes up with this, I mean, this is all happening in the same day, basically. Okay. The sextile to Jupiter, the sextile to Mars, the square to Pluto. <laughs> so, so I really do think there may be a bureaucratic challenge here. Now, funnily enough, this around this period of time was the old um, tax deadline but again, in I think in America here, we, we had tax season extended by a month, at least I hope so, because I don't think all of my taxes done by this time. But again, there may be you know, uh, some confusion that was going on with how to do your taxes and things like that because of a lot of the new laws that had come into play regarding stimulus checks and all of those things. Remember that I believe that the, um, I don't know if, for, if any of you have, have lost your job or anything like that, the first $10,000 of your taxes or of your unemployment income for 2020 is non-taxed. So that's one little secret out there. And there is a little way to um, make sure that you're not getting taxed on that if you had trouble with your with your employment over that year. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of new little things they put in there, but we won't get into that here. Talk to an accountant. I'm not, I'm not a good accountant. I'm not an accountant. <laughs> Like as much as I may like may have been one in a previous life or whatever, I think that uh, I I too receive some help when I'm trying to figure out all these details during these very complicated uh, tax season things. So again, take care of the bureaucratic issues. You may be receiving some help from Jupiter and from Mars. Make a choice. Leave the past behind. Unearth the corruption. Try not to try not to use nefarious means to get ahead. I think that's another thing with Mercury and Pluto in, in communication with one another here is we may be tempted to, to break the rules or bend the rules a little bit. And I think that that would be a mistake. So make sure you're honest in all of your dealings and, and maintain your integrity. Okay. The, the diamond associated with this deck is Eros. So, you know, there may be uh, some passionate, exchanges that we have where we are really professing our love for something or trying to to win someone's affection uh, whether it's in business or in our personal lives or in in a myriad of different areas of our life so consider that as we move forward austin coppett calls this deck in the burning rose right okay now we get to the kazemi here's the kazemi moment on the 18th right around 28, 29 degrees of Aries. I believe the exact Kazemi moment is at the last degree, 29. And this is called the superior, the superior conjunction, the direct conjunction of Mercury. Remember, planets like Mercury and Venus have two Kazemis in their synodic cycle. One is the direct Kazemi moment, which is this one, the, the superior conjunction. And then we have the inferior conjunction, which happens when those planets are retrograde. Now, at the superior conjunction, Mercury and Venus are moving very fast, okay? Um, they are being renewed in the furnace of the sun. Maybe perhaps we could think about them as visiting Olympus and being seated with a new idea. And then uh, we are also seeing a conjunction with a fixed star. Now, I want to show you this before we move forward here. I'm going to stop my share and I'll show you the, the star chart. So here we see the fixed star Al Resha. And Al Resha 
let's go let's actually move forward to the kazemi day okay this is going to happen on the 18th or so there we go so you could see here's the sun and mercury is hiding in there somewhere okay and it is really close to this fixed star al Russia, which is the knot that ties together the fish of Pisces. So here we see one fish ascending towards the heavenly realms and one fish uh, swimming along the ecliptic and perhaps representing the manifestation of things into form. So this may be a really pivotal moment, this Kazemi moment where we are able to pull things together, to pull it all together, to, to all the ideas we've been working through, all of the heavenly inspired things, we may be saying, okay, aha, this is what we have to do to make this real, to pull it all together, to, to marry the ideal with the form that it wants to take around April 18th. Okay, so this is a pivotal moment with a fixed star informing what we're doing here. This is neat. I love incorporating these fixed stars into what we're seeing here. And this one falling right on the Kazemi moment is a really powerful one. Um, and this, this fixed star is very close to the ecliptic too. So I think that we are going to feel this um, pretty prominently as part of our story, really trying to balance out our idealism with how it's going to manifest into form and things of that nature. Now, if we go back to the chart just briefly, I will show you the so then we see mercury move into taurus on the 19th now mercury will make its evening rise around may the second so here's the moment you can see that mercury is now returning maybe from olympus this really makes more sense to me just thinking about it out loud where mercury becomes visible again in the evening star or evening sky Okay, this is called the evening rise, right? At 27 degrees of Taurus, where all of those ideas we may be able to start manifesting again. Now, one, one other thing I want to talk about with the Mercury cycle is there is this really cool article online. I believe it's Michael Myers. I know that that sounds like the guy from uh, the, the Jason movies or something, Friday the 13th, uh, but that might be his name. I'm not sure. Um, and where they, they, he's talking about Dane Rudyard's explorations of the phases of Mercury in regards to what he calls Promethean direct phases, uh, Epimethean direct phases, and uh, pro, the, the retrograde versions of the Promethean and Epimethean versions. Now, he, he talks about Promethean direct as before the sun makes, or before the Kazemi moment, of the sun when it's direct as being a little bit more um, impulsive, a little bit more headstrong. There's an eagerness like Prometheus is forward thinking where we're thinking about the future. You know, we want to get to it. We want to get to the next thing. Right. And he talks about Epimetheus as being more about thinking about long range, objective thinking uh, about being a little bit more careful or de deliberate about what our, communications and our thinking style. Um, Epimethean, Epimetheus was the gift of hindsight in myth, right? It was, they were brothers. So maybe we are at, at this point, we are looking back to be able to build upon the past and we slow down our thinking a little bit with Mercury and Taurus before it moves into Gemini and, and is able to be in a position of strength. Okay. So that is what we're seeing with the evening rise on May the 2nd. Now, let's talk I Ching. Hope that you're all doing well out there. I know this is a lot to, to process with Mercury. We do all three decans with Mercury. But, you know, Mercury is moving so fast right now. This is only, we're only looking at a roughly, what is it? Like a two-week period of time, 15 days or so. Really, really fast. Okay, so I'm going to draw this hexagram on here. Man, I think I might get this one done in record time. Just like Mercury and Aries, we're going to set a record. We're going to go so fast. <laughs> like, if we can get it done in under an hour, I think we'll be okay. 
depending on how long how long winded I am describing this hexagram. You know, you can always listen to these videos on 1.25 speed <laughs> if you want to on YouTube, if you don't have like a million hours to spend with me. Um, but I appreciate you being here. And uh, I love having you as a as a crew. Leave me a comment in the comment section. Let me know how this cycle is working out for you. Um, but here we see the hexagram number five, uh, which is water. It is the, the component trigrams is water on top of heaven. So this is like we've got this cloud, okay? But we're having to wait. We're having to wait for the rain. Both of these hexagrams are about waiting. <laughs> and then we have wind and wood on top of heaven in number nine, which is called restraint, okay? So number five is called patiently waiting, which is really ironic considering that we have Mercury in Aries, not the most patient of uh, temples for Mercury to be in. But I think that this really makes a lot of sense because of the, because the question that I asked was, what is the essence of Mercury th with its transit through Aries? Now, I want to point out that through the entirety of Mercury's transit through Aries, it will be under the beams of the sun and hidden. It does not make its emerging you know, presence felt until Taurus. So that makes a lot of sense to me because Mercury is combust. Mercury is being reseeded. We are having to slow our roll in, in commerce and in exchanges because Mercury is invisible. Mercury is, is debilitated by being under the beams of the sun, you know, albeit, uh, you know, except for that small one degree, you know, Kazemi moment. Okay. So this, some keywords, waiting patiently, calculated waiting, biding your time, waiting for rain, nourishment, replenishment was one of the things associated with number five. So again, we're replenishing mercurial um, power. Circumstances beyond your control. That's interesting. There may be just some, some loose ends that have to be tied up before you can move forward with your, with your new chosen direction. Uh, clouds above he heaven mean waiting. The noble one eats and drinks and relaxes with music. So this is talking about waiting with faith rather than in fear. Every time I get this hexagram, I talk about you know, we can either wait through worry or we can wait through prayer and through, you know, praying for what we want rather than like being afraid and just always being like, oh God, oh God, are we going to get it? You know, it's, you know, if you, if you want to go back to like kind of manifestation principles, positive expectation can probably bring something to you a lot quicker than, than fearing something. Um, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, Hillary Barrett asked these focus questions for number five. It says, how can you wait patiently with commitment? While you wait, how can you best make yourself ready? So another, some other things about this, they talk about a, a farmer waiting for the weather to change. Uh, Mercury is combust and under the beam, so we're going to have to wait for that weather to change. Uh, things are being worked out behind the scenes. How can you cultivate your fields, Right. Mercury is being reseeded in that furnace of the sun. Have faith in the process. They talk about dancing for rain. So again, one interesting little side note, I got the grouse uh, today, which speaks about dancing and, and having a, a, you know, dancing with the rhythms of life. Uh, that was my personal animal of the day. The animal for this reading was the lizard, which talks about detachment, about dreaming, about deciphering your vision and being still while you're basking in the sun. <laughs> oh God, I'm just laughing. And laughing because there's it's it's so neat how all these symbols can communicate with one another when you're really just kind of being open to them, uh, being you know aligning with one another. Look at what a lizard is doing: basking in the sun, dreaming. Right, Mercury is going Kazemi of the sun exploring your inner world while you figure out what, what territory you want to establish. And you can't get too up in arms about it. A lizard doesn't waste his energy. He absorbs the energy from the sun 
because he's cold-blooded. I mean, this this may be a period of time where Mercury is kind of cold-blooded and we need that heat of the sun before we can make a movement like like the lizard does, right? Before we can heat things up and, and speed up again. Okay, so do the inner work. Uh, do the ritual. Wait and then wait for the results. That's the rain dance, right? Do the inner work, but without expectation. Take your time. Relax. Trust yourself. Trust in the process. Avoid impatience and greed and misdirecting your energy into different directions. Don't waste energy arguing with people. That's the biggest waste. If someone doesn't agree with what you're doing, just say, okay, sayonara. It's, it's, I, you don't have to do anything other than that. We'll agree to disagree and then end the conversation. Don't just keep arguing to say we'll have to agree to disagree because that's just wasting your energy. That is just a, 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 a something that can distract you from your actual purpose, which is putting energy into your own chosen position, okay? There's one changing line. It's line number six, which is in the heavenly realms, in the idealistic realms. And there's a quote associated with this. It says, entering into the pit, there are uninvited guests. Three people come, honor them. In the end, good fortune. So this one is interesting. Uh, it talks about unexpected guests or un unusual opportunities or strange truths coming up that may not be exactly what you are waiting for. Um, things that you were like, oh, geez, I didn't know that this was actually what I wanted. So to honor this energy, you have to stay flexible, like the wind, right? The wind above heaven is flexible. The wood above heaven is very flexy. Like when you're trying to establish a new sprout, it, it stays pliable. So it doesn't, doesn't get a woody stem too quickly, okay? There are stories in this uh, hexagram uh, or this line about unexpected visitors who turn out to be gods in disguise. So what may seem like a, a diversion from our path may end up being a divine course correction. It may, if we're presented with opportunities around this, you know, take the time to consider those possibilities rather than just rejecting them wholesale. Work with what you're given. L lose the stubborn fixation on doing it only one way. And I'm telling myself this too. It says, wait on those guests. Instead of staring off into the horizon, go back inside and, and wait on those, those guests that could be gods. There's tons of, I, and this is true in my studies of mythology, there's tons of stories of of the, the gods coming to humans in disguise and, and blessing them if they receive them well. You know, they, they often come as dressed as beggars and things like that. Like, uh, don't just reject something based on appearances. Allow it to, to, to penetrate your experience first before you make a judgment on it, okay? Okay, I've been receiving this, this line a lot in my own readings. Um, and I, I've, I've had to, to receive, you know, opportunities with a different perspective lately. And so this one has been really poignant for my own experience. Number nine says, uh, keep, it's, it is called the taming power of the small or restrained. Restraint of the powerful by the weak, small farming, taking care of the little things, accumulation of small advantages using gentleness and friendly persuasion, being temporarily held back. Okay, this one, they talk about dense clouds, but no rain. But the rain will come, okay? Remember, we have the evening rise going to happen on May the 2nd. It says, what small thing can I work on today? How can I cultivate a better terrain? The quote says, small taming, creating success, dense clouds without rain come from my Western altars. So you've made the propitiation. You've, you've asked for something. Now allow the process to play out and, and wait in faith. And what can you do in that period of time? There may be some small setbacks, but you have to cultivate your soil if you want to, to make things work. You have to remove the, uh, the rocks from the soil if you want it to be fertile, if you want it to be fecund. You have to turn it over and allow the heat of the sun to warm it up so that it can become fertile soil. Okay? If you, if you let, let, let all the old soil you know, with a bunch of roots and rocks in it, if you, if you try to, you know, plant your seeds in there, you're not going to get the type of return that you're looking for. So turn the soil over, give it, give it heat 
at, by exposing it to the light of day, remove some of the obstacles with patience over time, and take care of the details while you're while you're you know allowing the divine and allowing nature to take its course. Pay it, you know, be prepared. Remember, there is a there is a story about Kairos, where Kairos had a lock of hair in the front, and you could only catch it at the right moment. You could never catch it from behind. But what do you do when you're waiting for that right moment, where you're waiting for Kairos to come to you? You get ready. You know, they, there's sayings where they say fortune favors the prepared, all right? So even if that moment to strike is not quite there yet, you can still do things to be prepared for when it is. And you will have a much better chance of catching the, your opportunity when it shows up if you do the little things right now and become prepared. Okay. I think that's what I've got. We did it. We got through it. Um, thank you so much for going on this mercurial journey with me. I wish you a beautiful Mercury in Aries season. I hope that you're seated with all sorts of wonderful ideas from the heavens that will help you to make a new start in your chosen endeavors. Uh, if you can do me a great favor, hit that like button. That helps to put this video out to more people. That's the, the first thing that you can just do to support the work that I'm doing. Leave me a comment. Let me know what is being seeded in your Mercurial Kazemi cycle. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel and hit that notification bell if you want to know when the videos are coming out in real time. And if you want to support the work that I do, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. I so much appreciate all of you that have been patrons of my work. That helps me keep the lights on here, and it helps me to keep these videos um, accessible to the most amount of people possible by doing this, this donation model. You are helping to buy this information for people that may not be able to afford it. So if you can't afford this stuff, that's super cool. Hit that like button, make sure you're subscribed. But if you have more than um, your fellow neighbor, make that donation and you're, you're gonna be giving them the gift of this knowledge as well. And you're gonna be helping me out and helping me pay my bills. So thank you so much for all of that. Um, I really do love providing this information for you and being a translator like Hermes of the stars for you. So be kind to yourself over this cycle. Think about your words before you speak a little bit. Try not to get into any arguments with people that are fruitless. And um, most of all, be kind to yourself over this process. Be patient with yourself. Make the new start, but let nature take its course. That's what I've got for you today. Talk to you soon, everyone. Peace.